Hello, everybody. I welcome you all around the world here to our beautiful Copenhagen, the headquarter of our company F.L. Schmidt, for the third quarter report in the year 2021. So the highlights for the quarter. We had quite a strong order intake and revenue. We had a really good improvement in the EBITDA, especially in cement. We had a higher networking capital and with that a negative cash flow. And in the quarter three, we issued successfully new shares. The market outlook in mining, good momentum. This is growth cycle. And in cement, midterm recovery, definitely expected. Midterm, long-term, quite a good outlook. And the demand actually in both industries for green solutions is very high. We maintain the guidance which means on the revenue 16 to 17 billion and on the EBITDA margin 5 to 6%. And as reflect before, on the full year, we will have around 100 million DKK cost in based on acquisition activities. Top of it, as we announced yesterday evening, we, I will leave that position at the end of this year and Miko Keto, our good colleague from mining, will take over from the 1st of January next year. Miko is with us already since the 1st January of this year. He has a significant good track record in mining and other industries, in multiple leadership functions. His attitude, value set, ethics fits into Eiffel Schmidt as he would be born here. I'm very happy. We on the board, myself, we are very happy that Miko will take that role. And that role based on the ThyssenKrupp acquisition, will be in the future so much in the overlap with the mining uh, president position, based on being 75-80% mining when the ThyssenKrupp acquisition is done, that we combine the role. This will give Eiffel Schmidt a very strong focus on profitability, on the mission zero, on the ThyssenKrupp execution, what already Miko is leading since he is on, onboarded here into our company. You will meet him, of course, on several occasions in the near future. Out of that into the mining market, it is a positive outlook. It is a green transition. It is a long-lasting growth cycle where we are in, which is driven by e-mobility, green energy, and, of course, all the infrastructure work, what we need to fight against the climate change. The commodity prices are on a high level, and yes, they are volatile, but we all can remember the times in the darkest hour of the mining recession four or five years ago where we were in copper less than half of that what we have today. We have high production rates out in the industry. The industry moves back into normal activity, but customers stay cautious with their large capital investments, actually a combination out of the COVID and sustainability permitting talk. If you look to the right side of the slide, mining revenue is 20% up organically. The service 4% and the capital 52% up. The reason for the service is we have good order backlog, but of course some of the restrictions, logistic things were not enabling us to deliver the full potential. But as you see, when you look back, gradually we move more and more positively, which is good to see. On a very positive note, our EBITDA margin improved from nine, and a half, uh, from nine to nine and a half percent in the quarter three. In the nine and a half percent is roughly 30 million M&A cost included. If we then look into the order intake, on the left side, you see the order intake for the quarter three comparison. There we have a 19% growth in the service, again a strong performance, and a 6% growth in capital business. On the right side, you see from quarter three 2019 to the quarter three 2021, the development of the different elements of our business in mining. For example, if you look into the service part, you see that we are more or less on that where we were in 2019. Actually, the order backlog looks similar like in 2019, so that we are not always comparing with the COVID-impacted year, which is for us and management and the way forward quite important to see. So overall, quite a good move out of that 
very low activity year in uh, 2020. Out of that, we go on the TK acquisition. Um, as you know, we had the signing a few months ago where we flagged and informed the market that we are on the way to take over the ThyssenKrupp mining uh, business into our group. It's roughly a revenue of $5 billion. And what you see is, and what we can report on is, the timeline and for closing is completely on track. We are absolutely pleased with the performance what we get out of uh, our future colleagues, as well as what we do ourselves to get that business on board. Generally, I have to say the market approach of the ThyssenKrupp mining colleagues, management, well done, guys. Um, you fight good, and that's great to see. We are happy when we have you on board. One thing what we would like to mention here is our equity issue. That is completed. That was quite successful, and we raised... 1.4 billion to fund the acquisition. On the other side, the EV is reduced to 2.1 billion. That means a reduction of more than 330 million. The reason for that is that the India business of ThyssenKrupp Mining is excluded from that transaction. The background for that is, at first, we are very strong as Effel Schmidt in India already. You know that roughly each fourth colleague of us is Indian citizen, and the activities from ThyssenKrupp mining are for us strategically not important. It has no effect on the transfer, it has no effect of IP technologies, and we keep, of course, the synergy effect, what we announced, exactly on the same level. Out of that, I would like to go into cement. Cement has quite a lot of talk and more and more actually real facts around green offering. We are unbelievably well positioned there. If you followed a little bit the COP26, how much we as Effel Schmidt were there and helping and supporting a lot of discussions and initiatives there. This green solution is the future for Salmon Premium. That's clear. But... We have an overcapacity in a lot of regions. Customers are still actually deferring big investments. They are on cash preservation. But we see with the stimulus packages, with the infrastructure bills around the world, that this business will come strong after the midterm or in the midterm. What is it? What will drive it? I give one example. Everyone talks about climate change, huge change of weather conditions. A lot of humans are living on the coastline. We have to protect them. We have to build infrastructure. Look into that, what Japan yesterday announced. We will be heading that. We will offer green cement technologies to make it happen and to protect the people. That's our position. That's our mission zero. So for that, the sustainability and digitalization investments, what we did, will great pay off. If we then look to the performance of us in the revenue in the quarter three, it's a 22% organic growth where uh, the capital business got a 61% increase and service is 5% down. Where does that come from? We actually, in the reshaping activity, let some of the business go. We announced that fabric filter and so on. We de-risked the company by uh, minimizing our exposure into some of the O&M areas. That all in that quarter added up that we didn't have uh, growth in the service part. But on a very positive note, from a minus, from a not good minus 4.8% EBITDA, we improved to 0.2%. And a big thank you to my organization to make the reshaping in that way that we already can show a positive bottom line in the quarter three 2021. Well done. If we then look into the order intake, another good story when we look especially into service where we are very much focused on, we have a 44% increase in service for cement, which is great in capital orders with these relatively low figures to get a larger order in or out moves the needle quite a lot. That is minus 18% then in the quarter. But organically, it's a 17% growth in a market which is fairly under pressure. If we then look to the right side, again from the quarter 319 to the quarter 321, you see that we are coming out very well out of the 
quarter two, the main hit in the COVID time, especially the service, has now the fifth quarter in a row in order intake growth in service, which is phenomenal and quite great. Out of that, out of that, we look into the supply chain uh, situation, logistic procurement. There is a lot of talk in the global economy, not only in cement and mining, actually more in other industries, about the challenges. What we can say is we are, of course, not inert against these challenges, but the impact on us is low in quarter three and absolutely in line with our expectations. Where does it come from? We have a, a business model which is close to asset light. We invested significantly in the last five, six, seven years into procurement, logistic, supply chain setup, and that pays off. We are quite agile and proactive in that area. So from that point of view, we can mitigate to a certain extent these challenges by being flexible and actually moving from one continent or country where we have restrictions or anything else into others. And that makes us um, only with a low impact. Out of that, into R&D. We are always proud to show something, this time about mining. It is the reflux flotation cell. Um, to describe it fairly quick in it, this cell delivers the same performance than three to four times bigger conventional flotation cells. And actually on a lower energy consumption and for some of the deposits for a higher recovery. This is again a technology where we take an existing one, improving it for sustainability reasons to come closer to our mission zero target where we promised to be in the position to offer technology to be emission zero in the year 2030 in mining too. Out of that, I would like to give to Roland, our CFO for the financial performance. <clears throat> Thank you for that, Thomas. And a quick glance on uh, the group's uh, financial result for the quarter. So as Thomas mentioned, the revenue is moving forward 22%. Uh, we're keeping our gross margin largely flat and... Uh, that means that uh, the company is moving forward also in EBITDA to 305 million Danish kroner and improving EBITDA margin from 4.6% to 6.5% compared to the same quarter last year. And after clearing financial costs and taxes and so on, profit and loss for the group uh, equals uh, 95 million. <clears throat> if you look at our revenue, uh, revenue growth of uh, 22% compared to the same quarter last year, most notable here is that our total capital revenue or our capital revenue out of total revenue increases from 38% to 48%. And if we look at the right-hand side, we're also increasing you know, total revenues compared to previous quarter. But more notably, we are largely back at the level we saw in Q3, not 2020, but in 2019 which in many ways is a more relevant uh, comp. <clears throat> our gross profit uh, increased in nominal terms for the quarter. And our uh, gross margin stayed uh, largely flat. And uh, you know, the uh, increase of uh, capital uh, revenue out of total revenue from 38 to 48% obviously way down on this uh, margin percentage. And also a little bit of uh, extra logistics cost and so on sits in uh, this margin percentage, but no more than we had uh, expected. On the right-hand side, uh, we see that mining uh, is the one uh, carrying most of this, so a slight declining gross margin. The same actually for cement, a larger share of capital revenue, but the reshaping activities in cement now starts to kick in and also truly sit in, uh, in the numbers and hereby in improving uh, cross margin. Our SGNA ratio improved uh, down to 14.6%, uh, 682 million Danish kroner for the quarter, and in that number we carry uh, 30 million of acquisition costs related to TK, a little bit of uh, cement reshaping costs, and also our sales cost is up a notch, uh, driven by an increased level uh, of uh, travel and so on compared to the same quarter last year. In general, our SDNA is uh, well under control. Our headcount is kept flat, and that also uh, gives us some leverage from the uh, significant increase in revenue that we have seen this, uh, this quarter. 
Uh, and all in all, uh, thereby uh, improving our uh, EBITDA strongly. We're moving forward to 305 million Danish kroner. And uh, the EBITDA margin is up uh, from 4.6% to 6.5%. And this is uh, driven both by mining and uh, cement. Cement that is now back in, in uh, small but black uh, territory uh, for the quarter EBITDA-wise. On the right-hand side, we see that the uh, improvement in EBITDA is largely driven by the uh, the revenue pickup, uh, and then there's a few other things up and down for acquisition costs and reshaping costs and so on, but uh, ending up in 305 million Danish kroner for uh, the quarter in Ibiza. Our networking capital uh, went up for the quarter after five uh, consecutive quarters in a row of uh, reducing networking capital. We went up to 10.4%. On the right-hand side, we see this is primarily driven by uh, an increased level in activity and revenues. We are building a little bit inventories to circumvent the logistics challenges, but also to be able to deliver a higher level of service and aftermarket business. Trade receivables uh, is up, driven by uh, an increased uh, invoicing activities predominantly from our projects towards the end of the quarter, but also from our service uh, and aftermarket business that uh, did uh, quite well through August and uh, September. And that means that we uh, end the quarter at a networking capital of about 1.7 billion in, large with, you know, in line with our expectations and also what we, uh, what we uh, previously have uh, communicated. Um, the, the, the increase in networking capital leads to a negative uh, cash flow for the quarter cash flow from operations and also free cash flow. And if we look at the right-hand side, we are increasing the EBDA uh, significantly, but uh, uh, networking capital is increasing. That means uh, uh, cash flow from continuing activities of minus 48 million. We then have a, uh, a negative cash flow from our discontinued uh, activities of minus 144 million, and thereby the group's uh, cash flow, free cash flow end at minus 253 uh, for the quarter. Our capital structure, um, uh, as Thomas mentioned, we uh, issued new uh, equity of 1.4 billion uh, in the quarter by ways of a direct placing. Uh, that uh, uh, money is meant for, uh, for uh, consideration of the TK mining business that are expected to close the second half uh, next year and thereby also be uh, fully paid. And on the right-hand side, that also means that currently our net NIBD uh, position is zero, cash position zero, and a leverage of 0.0x. If we exclude the capital increase, our leverage would have been 1.4x uh, coming out of uh, Q3. And uh, that leads us to uh, guidance, and uh, our guidance is uh, maintained for the full year 2021, a revenue of 16 to 17 billion and an EBITDA margin of 5 to 6%. Uh, there's still some uncertainty due to the pandemic and potential logistic issues for Q4 around the, the guidance. Uh, and with that, I'll give it back to uh, Thomas. Thanks a lot, Roland. Then, um, of course, as all quarters, our in-house sustainability performance, um, it is important as a leading provider of sustainable solutions into mining and cement, of course, to report and to show what we do internal. I always highlight the safety performance, and this year is not a good performance. We actually dropped back. We are on 1.8. We do a lot of activities to come back on track. Last year we had 1.0 on the safety target, but um, it seems to be not only us um, with um, more activity out in the market and COVID measurements are uh, lower down that the safety situation uh, worsened a little bit. All activities are in place to show a better performance next year, what we definitely expect. But quite important in the quarter two is actually on the mine side, we had the Mine Expo in Las Vegas, and the first time we showed the Mission Zero mine concept to offer customers with existing plants, planning for greenfield, new sustainable, more sustainable related offerings into the mining industry, which was unbelievable well received. On the other side, with our cement colleagues, there we have the first commercial offering for carbon capture 
And that is what we do in collaboration with our colleagues from Carbon 8. Out of that, um, to wrap it up, strong order intake, good revenue, really good EBITDA improvement and guidance maintained for this year. And with that, I would like to go to the Q&A. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question for the speakers, please press zero one on your telephone keypad and you'll enter queue. After you announce, please ask your question. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, that's zero one on your telephone keypad now. Our first question comes from the line of Magnus Kruber from UBS. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hi, Thomas Roland Magnus here from UBS. A couple of questions from, from my end. First, on the on the revenue guidance, I mean, given the very solid print in the quarter, I think even the upper end of the guidance is conservative. And if I look at your prior years, I think in the past 10 years, I think you've never delivered a lower revenue in Q4 than in Q3. And the lowest sequential improvements you had was 400 last year in, in, the, in the context of COVID. So if we should see similar sequential improvement this year, that puts us around 17.5 billion TKK for the full year. So I guess, what am I missing here in terms of the revenue guidance? Hey, Magnus, thanks for the question. Um, what we see is that we go towards the 17 billion. That is what we, when we uh, give a comment on the guidance. Um, the important thing here to know is that um, we have to see how the end of the year, which is, as you rightly said, normally always a strong finish, how that develops with logistic and other things. Um, if that works very well, then it could be a good quarter. If it works really not well, then it could be not a good quarter. So, and that is what the guidance actually covers in it. Um, we know, I know you always think, oh, we are too cautious or too conservative, but we know that some impacts on logistic, um, I take uh, NIMP Harbor in China or any other event, um, can have quite a harming situation in the short term, not in the long term. But December in itself is very important for us. That actually is the reflection on it. Okay, got it. Thank you so much. And uh, secondly, of course, again, very solid revenue in the quarter and uh, the margins, of course, also uh, impressive in, in, in the context of that. Um, so for mining, how, uh, could you help us a bit on how you saw the mix in OE deliveries in the quarter between larger projects and other OE and what we should expect into Q4? I mean, given the implications for sequential margin development, sort of the mix there is quite important to get the numbers into yeah, the, the very good question. Yeah, at, at first, you see, of course, in the EBITDA improvement, the leverage regarding the top line, cost versus top line, but you see in the quarter two that we have significant higher capital business than we had a year ago. So with that, um, the, the margin development actually was good, but it was really more the leverage because the product mix was um, on, the counter, on the counterpart. You see that in the cross-margin development. But overall, as expected, I have to say, there was no surprise in it. Good performance of the organization. Then regarding uh, the mix in the, um, in the capital, because you see the mix with service and uh, capital already presented, then if it's smaller units and bigger deliveries, it's actually mixed out of both. We had a low impact of logistic challenges, so we were able to deliver in the quarter um, some of the bigger stuff too. So it was actually quite a, yeah, I have to say, a normal quarter. Okay, and in terms of the mix into into Q4, is there any sort of notable change in the in the invoicing uh, of of the larger orders from Q3 into Q4 that we need to account for? Uh, so thank you for that, Max. So, so to the extent that we are able to convert the backlog, you should expect the same type of capital service mix in Q4. Hence, hence also that will weigh on on the margin for Q4. Okay, got it. Thanks a lot. And then, then yes, finally, if I would, I think that, I mean, I noticed the equipment orders adjusted for the announced order appeared to be down a little bit uh, year over year in the quarter, which surprised me given the solid backdrop. Is that just down to the normal lumpiness, or how should we think about that into, into next year? Yeah, you know how it is. Um, in some cases, you are uh, lucky to get it into a quarter, or others are jumping out. We announced an order then at the beginning of October. Um, that could have been in the third quarter too, then the picture immediately looks completely different. So we have a good order uh, pipeline. We see that uh, the mining industry looks very, very healthy. 
Uh, we definitely can't complain about that. Good future ahead of us in it. And uh, this is simply from one quarter to another, the variation. Nothing special. And our competitiveness is actually quite good. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you, Magnus. Our next question comes from the line of Klaus Alma from Nordia. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you. Yeah, first of all, uh, Thomas, congratulations with, with your new job. I have two questions. I will do them one by one. Uh, the first question goes to the service orders, which both within cement and mining was, was relatively strong. Is this a new level, or do you see a positive impact from customers uh, you know, placing orders ahead, ahead of a possible lockdown? That will be the first one. Yeah. Um, thanks for the congratulation, but I actually hope for that you congratulate us for a good quarter free. The, um, um, if we look into the service part, if we take mining, we are in line with the industry in it. We have a strong run. Actually, you see that the stationary equipment suppliers into um, the mining industry are on the same level. Actually, the mobile ones are on a higher level or wear minimum um, in the last few quarters. Um, and that reflects the accessibility of the mine sites because the demand is there. They have high production rates. They have high commodity prices. And we see that service level actually not dropping back. You will see variances quarter on quarter, up and down. But in general, we, we, we are actually at 2019 level and taking it from there. Then in cement, that is, of course, a very strong performance, especially of our regional organization, uh, to have a 44% increase. And in that, of course, we promote to help customers in the cement part with upgrades and retrofits to fulfill on one side more sustainability regulations and on the other side to uh, tackle that with uh, the overcapacity. And that, of course, came in the quarter quite well. We have a very strong position in that, and that is what you see reflected. Do we expect that this journey, what we see now for five quarters in cement, each quarter higher order intake, I would wish for, but that's unrealistic. Um, but we will have a good aftermarket time in cement too. But don't expect that it will go on now uh, with that growth rate. That uh, is unrealistic. But still growth, uh... The, you, you will more see the same picture like in mining, uh, some quarters with growth, some with uh, a little bit uh, down, based on uh, when we come into next year or mid of next year, when we uh, compare with stronger quarters this year, then you will see different percentage figures. Because one thing what we should not forget, all the figures of all the suppliers in 2021 are compared with an extremely low year 2020. But we expect that we are on a similar level, slight growth up, a little bit down. So, yeah, you can say a new, no, a new norm. But I would more look, that is what we do, not so much to 2020. We look more to 2019 to compare with. That is more a realistic comparison. Sure. Okay, then my, my second question goes to the pricing. Given the, the improving activity level in, in general, are you starting to see a better, uh, should we say, uh, contribution margin in the backlog? Are you actually able to price up uh, in your order intake? Yeah. What we see is, at first, you know that the pricing has two sides. One, what we get towards the customers, and one, what we get towards our suppliers. And our suppliers enjoy quite a cost increase. Um, and we are able with our, um, as I said in the presentation, I think really good um, um, supply chain procurement and log logistic organization to tackle that in a good way. And that what we see there, we are able to get that towards the customer and to communicate that in a positive way. And that is uh, already in itself quite a big figure. If that situation, what we see, is ongoing longer, what we believe, a few quarters more, that gives, of course, um, companies like us the possibility to raise the pricing more and more. And we are not the only one. You see McDonald's now out with price increase. And, of course, we utilize that too, not only over the Big Mac index. And with that, um, we will come out of that situation stronger in the pricing situation. So we see pricing actually 
neutral to more positive in that range. Okay, that sounds good. That was all for me. Thanks. Thanks. Our next question comes from the line of Max Yates from Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Uh, thank, thank you very much. Um, good morning, everyone. So, Thomas, just my, my first question would be around uh, the, the margins and thinking a little bit further forward in mining. And so, so you used to have a, a 11 to 13 percent margin target for mining. It looks like you'll be around nine this year with with still 100 million for nearly a percent of impact from the, the Tissom costs. So I just wanted to get your perspective on kind of when you think back to when you did have that margin target for, for the division, how has the business changed or how has the market environment changed? Because clearly from a volume perspective, things are looking relatively good. Um, so just wondering kind of in, in your perspective, is, is there any reason versus the environment when you gave those targets and compared to today, assuming you execute on your backlog and the market continues to grow, which CapEx indications would suggest it will, is there anything fundamentally different today versus when you had that target? Yeah, at first, the fundamental or the difference what you have is um, we come out of that COVID situation. And COVID is, forget about the virus and so on, you have to look into the logistic challenges. And logistic challenges cost money. That's, um, that's as simple as it is. What we do, and you saw that a little bit in the networking capital movement in the quarter, we are trying to supply as quick as we can because if you stay in the supply time as agreed with the providers, with the logistic providers at the beginning of the year, actually the additional cost is not high. But if you move one week out, it gets unbelievably expensive. So that is, a, that is an uncertainty what we see in the next few quarters still hanging over us. Then you have higher commodity prices, which um, goes into that whole calculation too. And um, of course, we are very much, and actually we are quite good in bringing the prices towards the customers up, but you always have a little bit of lagging effect uh, in that too. So these two give a kind of an uncertainty that I can't stand here and say, ah, we are then coming, coming back into the old range or so. Um, takes a little bit more time. We will see, I think we move, or we see we move in the right direction, and we will communicate if we have more clearance on it, absolutely open to the market how we see then the longer-term part. Okay, that's, that's helpful. And, and maybe just then, Roland, if, if you could help us with, just, just when we think about your, uh, your purchasing agreements, any sort of hedging that you have on, on, on raw materials, is, is there anything when you look at your sort of hedges and or the way that you purchase raw materials or the agreements with uh, component suppliers that mean that current commodity prices are not sort of fully reflected in your, your, cost, of goods, uh, your cost of goods sold so far? and that we should see those kind of meaningfully rise from here based on commodity price increases that happened earlier in the year. So I'm just trying to understand if there's any lagging effect that you would expect to come through in your business in the next couple of quarters. Yeah, thank you for that. that that's, uh, that's a good question. And uh, <clears throat> it links better back to uh, what Thomas is saying. So, so first of all, in many of our larger contracts, we have you know, price, uh, price adjustment clauses. Uh, so, 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 so that's one way of, of, of hedging it. And as Thomas says... There may be delays from, you know, these uh, these adjustments happen then until we can implement it in in our commercial terms, right? And it hangs a little bit in our Q2 and in our Q3 may also be in, in Q4 and, and, and Q1. But these are things that we are are working quite intensively with, as Thomas also said it, and, and you know, that, that I think we, we are mitigating relatively well. So I wouldn't see a large commodity uh, exposure risk on, on the company. So that's one thing. The second thing is, actually, in, for many of the commodities, increasing commodities is also good for our customers, because many of these guys are actually living from this. So it's, you know, it's, it's, a, balanced, uh, it's a balanced picture. And I think that, you know, our hedging or mitigation uh, policies works quite strongly for the company. Uh, okay, and and just my my final question. I, I just wanted to ask on on the sort of new technologies that you talk about. I mean, the the one that I hear a lot about is is in pit crushing, both from you and 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 from the industry. So, 
I just wanted to, to know, I mean, could you put any sort of numbers around or, or, or help us understand kind of how mature this is within the industry? I mean, are you doing, is it literally a couple of pilot projects? Is this something where it is actually a kind of meaningful product within your order intake? I'd, I'd just love to know kind of a little bit more about sort of where we are actually in, in the rollout there and, and kind of how how applicable this is um, across the entire industry or, or whether it's only really in, in more specific mining applications. As a mining engineer, I really love that question. Thank you very much. So, uh, to make a, a long story short, um, this impit crushing technology is offered to the industry for three to four decades. But what we see now with the sustainability run, with the run to, how to say, to have open pit mines not so open any longer, and to get more energy efficiency, to electrify, to replace trucks, which are difficult to electrify, with belt conveying systems and in-pit crushing, this is the last two years or one and a half years is a hell of a run on that technology. We have a lot of cases where we work with clients how to, how to mitigate it or how to bring it into their pit in existing pits and especially with Greenfield. When we look into what does it mean, it means actually for the customer not to have a truck fleet of 200 big trucks, to have a two or three belt conveying systems and crushers in the pit. If we look into one of these installations, we talk normally if it's a, a bigger pit, a bigger copper mine and so on, we talk in the range of 100 million euro for such an order and can be significant more, can be some less based on that what the customer already has. If you look into how many hundreds of open pit mines we have and some of the greenfield are going open cast, open pit too. And that makes it especially for the greenfield very likable to go into in-pit crushing because the design of the pit looks different than in the con conventional method. So from that point of view, this is a big business to come in from the industry and uh, to finalize it, uh, a big part or one part of the ThyssenKrupp mining acquisition is actually targeting that business. Our colleagues in ThyssenKrupp mining, as well as the business what we took over from uh, Sandvik, the Sandvik mining system, they are experts in that. And we have all the equipment, we have all the competence to be favorably positioned there. And that's the reason why whatever is out in the market, we work on. Okay. I, I mean, I, I completely agree. It sounds and makes a, a lot of sense. I'm, uh, how, is, is this something that is, is largely sort of still under discussion or have we actually seen sort of orders or orders flowing through? I, I understand that it's, it's kind of talked about, but I, I'm just trying to understand whether kind of we're still in discussions or, or it has actually translated into... Do, do we have working examples we, out there, not just from you, but from any... Yeah, we have, we have orders in the, in the, uh, already in. It's orders in the order backlog in, but there are smaller ones where we replace here and there. And don't forget, if a customer in an existing plant go into that, then the design has to change, so it's a little bit a bigger thing. The most important is that customers, that we are not going to the customers any longer to offer it. It's actually that the customers come to us to get a quote on it. And that's, a, that's really a breakthrough. Then the order pipeline for it looks good, and they will come. It's not only discussions. Okay, great to hear, and good luck in the future, Thomas. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Lars Topholm from Carnegie. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Hey, Lars. Uh, I had a couple a, a, a couple of, of, of questions so uh, I know it's probably difficult to, to answer but if I, if I look at, at cement Q3 and compare to Q319 you are sort of back to the pre-pandemic level in terms of order intake but 20% below in sales and if you look at mining you're back on order intake and, and slightly up on sales I, I wonder if you have any so soft assessments on how order intake and uh, sales might have been affected by the pandemic. That, that's the first question. Uh, then a second question is to your slide about the RFC technology. 
so, so if customers can get much more out of a flotation cell, uh, how is capex per capacity unit affected? Because presumably it means less business for you to sort of generate the same amount of, of uh, copper or gold. Uh, then a third question, I, I can see that after H1, you wrote that uh, the use of supply chain financing had slightly increased, and after Q3, you say it has increased. So, so I wonder if you can put a number on the increase and comment on how this affects your network and capital position. And then a final question to the 130 million uh, in cash withdrawal from your discontinued business. I just wonder uh, what the dispute is about. And uh, now you treat it as a receivable. Uh, if uh, you are wrong and the customer is right, would it then be 130 million that is booked as an expense? Or how should we look at that from an accounting perspective? Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Lars. Um, good to have you here on the call. At first, with the cement and um, the uh, order conversion into sales. What we have in cement is that a um, big part of the cement market worldwide is still um, looking into not to spend too much cash and too much investment money. On top of it, of course, uh, based on the restrictions, cement is more local organized. They, um, most of these clients we work with are not having this global setup and global internal Company, uh, company logistic as we see it in mining. That's actually the reason regarding the, uh, the realization of the uh, order intake into sales. Then we have the reflux classifier uh, question. It is, as it is with all equipment in the, in the processing part, it never ever fits to all sides and everywhere. It is specialized. You can replace copper. We see in gold. We see in some other some other commodities and special deposit um, specific, uh, quite a utilization of that um, technology. It doesn't reduce our offering, actually it increase, because when we look into conventional uh, flotation, then we buy a lot of steel, the tank, um, all the beams, all everything around the building actually, and that is the part what we reduce. So the relative portion of our equipment versus the total supply for flotation installation is getting significant bigger. And with that, our margin improves um, relatively too because we don't need to buy uh, a lot of, let's say, unintelligent steel like uh, uh, beams and stairways and handrails and I don't know what else. Um, then the third question was on... The third question, I think that was uh, supply chain financing, yes. Lars. Thank you for that. And uh, you're right, we haven't given uh, you the number. What we're saying is that uh, it's significantly less than it was by uh, by end of the year last year. And there it was a billion. And today it's less than half. So it's not big swings between the quarters uh, uh, up and down. So that was on supply chain financing. On the but, it, it, it increased, uh, uh, so, 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 but, but it increased in Q3, right? And when it increases, you book uh, payables at 150 days of credit, so, which boosts your network and capital, uh, which is still a drag on cash flow. So, so I wonder if you can put a number on the drag on, on cash flow if, if you... Yeah, but that's a, uh, that's a very little number. Yeah. No, no, I understand the, the question, uh, Lars. Uh, so so we, are, we are sitting at a, a relatively stable amount of supply chain financing that is less than half of what it was when we came out last year. It's, uh, it's going a little bit up and down, and this quarter it has gone up. But uh, the impact on networking capital is, is negative, right? That's, that's, that's right. But it's a very, very little number. Then, then you had a question on the uh, Tamman case. Yes, exactly. And that was the, we already flagged it in the, um, uh, at the interims report. Um, the fact is that we have a very extraordinary situation, which we don't like, and what we rejected the claim, that the customer took um, a performance guarantee. This is very rare, um, not only in a year. This is very rare in my whole being here in the company. And um, that happened, um, yeah, that happened. 
And of course, we, we rejected the claim with everything what we have. And we strong believe that we are on the right position there. We know that we are on the right position. I can't send more confidence on that than I, than I just do. If we would see any risk with it, then we would treat it differently. Yeah, so to your question, Lars, uh, we have treated that as a contingent liability. It's under other receivables and means that if against all our expectations we will have to pay it, it has to be expensed. Okay, that, that, that's clear. Just getting back to, to my, my first question, Thomas, on mm. cement order intake being on par with pre-pandemic levels, is it too optimistic to interpret that as there might be a slight underlying improvement in, in that market? If a, a level on par with pre-pandemic levels is still dragged down to some extent by the pandemic, or is this just wishful yeah. thinking? Yeah, I, uh, the, I make it like that. Um, if you rem- remember back in 2019, 2019 was already a very, very low, low year. This was not a good year for cement. We had a good revenue recognition in the fourth quarter, but actually, when we look in the order intake and the activity level in 19, that was not a good year. And um, to go back in cement on 2019 level is not satisfying. So the second thing is it's predominantly service where we really perform here. And that is the green agenda and the help with um, upgrade and retrofit where we invested in the reshaping a lot. You remember that we took out fabric filter, then the Müller brand, and a lot of capital stuff where we think it's not core and or was not profitable. And we refocused and invested quite a lot in offering customers uh, competent services to help them now, today, to reduce the environmental footprint, what they have. And that pays off. But no matter that it's a 44% increase, of course, we compare that with 2020 which is not a great year at all for cement. But 19 was already not a good order intake year for cement. That's fair enough. Thank you very much for taking my questions and good luck going forward. Thanks a lot, Lars. Our next question comes from the line of Loritz Kiergaard from ABG. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Thank you, Thomas and Roland. I'd like to congratulate you on a strong Q3. Very impressive. Thomas, uh, today you have been very upbeat, uh, it seems, from my perspective, on today's conference call on the future of FLS. Uh, I understand that you've been offered a new position, and, and congratulations, but may I ask you, why are you leaving FLS? At first, I don't see that I'm more upbeat uh, than I was before, no matter that we, uh, thank you for the question actually, but no matter that we really rehearse which kind of words I use and which tone, but uh, it is, uh, it is uh, difficult. So don't take it as an up- upbeat, it's the same as before, the company is in a, is in a good shape, we have a good balance sheet, um, we have a fantastic good strong management team, the best management team what I enjoyed. Since I'm an Effort Schmidt, I can say that loud and clear. A top organization around the world, this is important. Our mission zero is good. And I have to say, I'm, I'm unbelievably happy. And the board so too, to have such a competence like Miko in the company to take then the next step of the company's development. So that I leave is clear. It has to happen. That's with the role of a CEO. And I'm definitely of the opinion that CEOs should not stay too long. A change from time to time is quite good. And I'm already one, if not the longest lasting in the whole sector, and maybe in the C25 too. If we then look into why timing now, take the ThyssenKrupp acquisition as one argument. We have the signing, now the integration planning comes, and in the middle of next year, most likely we have the closing, and then the full impact of the performance will be in 2024. It is never, ever good that the manager is leading the integration planning, but then not being available to make the execution. That would mean I would have to stay up to 2024, which is, from my point of view and board's point of view, definitely too long for a CEO to stay. Then it is logical that it's now the time. Our succession planning process, which is an ongoing thing, And what we do since years, and it's quite well done, 
is a logical step that you can trigger it. And on the other side, Miko is in since 1st of January and his performance throughout the year in leading the Tusen Group, in leading mining, um, really brought us, the board and myself, to the conclusion now this is the time to do it. It is from a personal point of view, of course, that I can say that too, because I don't like to leave, but that's the way it is. That's life. So, and the company will have a good future, of course. Mitch, just a quick follow-up. I, I completely understand the rationale and the points, but nevertheless, Miko has, has very much been uh, given uh, the, the role of integrating TK Mining in FLS from uh, the former manager at IEU. Um, wouldn't it have been better, perhaps, for him to have made decision back in the day uh, as a CEO, uh, because now he's very much given the role to integrate it? Um, you mean that he should have been taking the role earlier? Yes. Yeah. The oh, Okay. That's, uh, of course, another... Um, as you see, we didn't do that. And as you see, board and myself and top management had other thoughts on it. And um, when you look into the CV of Miko, um, he, he worked in Metso, he worked in Nokia, he worked in Kona. He has a very broad range. And, of course, it's always good if a CEO is an internal recruit. I came from outside, uh, was a challenge uh, for all the people working with me, I guess, and maybe for me too a little. But with Miko, he, he, as he acts today, he, it is as he would be forever already in the company. This is a fantastic smooth transition and, um, yeah, great. Okay, fair enough. Then uh, just on, the, on your guidance, uh, usually many of your customers, they stock up in Q4, shut down operations for maintenance, etc. So so a great opportunity for FLS to generate sales also from aftermarket uh, services. Um, I, I think the dynamics were discussed a little bit before, but I, I didn't find it too clear. Are some of the revenue pulled forward from Q4 into Q3, uh, given the more cautious Q4 assumptions relatively to normal season? Or is there something fundamentally going on in Q4 which you, we should be aware of? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Lars. So there's nothing fundamentally we should be aware of. Yes, we had a strong Q3 revenue-wise, strong conversion, strong end in September and high invoicing and so on. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we are still uncertain of our full ability to execute the backlog, convert the backlog to revenue uh, through Q4 and into December. And, you know, hence that's why we are saying if everything goes, you know, reasonably according to our expectations, we will trend towards the upper end of the revenue range. That's how we are thinking about it. So there's no sales which have been put forward from Q4 into Q3? No, no, no. And just a last question. If we look at the nine-month results on the number of employees in cement, they are down 22%. It's almost 1,000 people. At the same time, order intake is up 24% in the same period. Do, do you have enough employee capacity to execute on the orders? I'm just wondering about the dynamics there between the two numbers. Yes. Yes, we have. And we have an agile system if, the, if we would run into a squeeze, what we don't. Fact is that we um, took some business out. There were people related with um, Fabric Filter, Möller, and O&M, which, which always has uh, quite a lot of people in one O&M contract. That is a big part beside the reshaping of the industry. So don't get concerned with that uh, negative figure. Um, a big part of it is actually to let uh, business go, which is not profitable, not strategic important, and or too high in risk. Can you say, Fabric, Mueller, and OEM, can, can we say how many of the thousand people are engaged with those three operations and how much is that yes. implicitly I reshaping? I, I could, but I think this is getting too much into details, really. Okay, super. Thank you very much for taking my questions and congratulations on your new job, Thomas. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Our next question comes from the line of Klaus Peel from New Credit Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Yeah, hello. Uh, two questions from uh, my side. Um, first of all, uh, if we look at cement, what would be reasonable to expect for, for Q4, um, and especially in terms of, uh, of earnings? 
And secondly, uh, Thomas, you've been fairly bullish on, on the midterm uh, outlook for uh, for cement. But could you try to to quantify that in in any way? Uh, for instance, uh, when could you be back with, let's say, revenues of six to seven billion and an uh, EBITDA margin of five uh, percent or anything? Any any color on that would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that, uh, Klaus. So maybe on on the cement, as we have said, uh, we we are um, continuing the reshaping activities, and cement will be be negative for the year. That's that's still the case, but now we have turned black in Q3, and we uh, expect to continue to do that in 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 Q4. Yeah, and then uh, the question regarding the midterm outlook. Yeah, I can't guide on the midterm outlook, and in, in that 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 is uh, that would be. That would be not fair to make it like that. Um, we are uh, upbeat about that, what the demand side shows. The demand side with the stimulus packages, with the infrastructure bills, with all the necessary communicated out of societies, governments, companies, communicated infrastructure investments to tackle the climate change. That is um, where, we, where we dwell on. If you look into... Um, I take now the COP26 from this week and last week, cement with 8% CO2 contribution in the world is seen as one of the, yeah, let us say, not so positive industries on earth. And there's a huge push, a huge push that cement gets from a technology point of view better and with that reducing significantly the CO2 and other emissions. And we are in a top position there. We invested a lot in the last few years, or actually for quite a while, not only in digitalization and sustainability, in technology development. This is high-tech, what they ask for, high-tech. And that is where we play. So out of that, to finalize it, we had in the mid of the 2000s the situation that with the China boom, a lot of mid-market more standard equipment, more commoditized equipment is hitting the cement industry. And we saw that year on year which challenges we had as a premium supplier. And this market, the mid-market, took 60-70% of the whole market range. And I can give a figure. We had roughly 60 to 70 new plants awarded to suppliers in the year 2012. In the year 2019, it was six. So that is what cement was about. But now with the request of sustainability and digitalization, the premiums are back and we foresee that the premium market, which was before maybe 30, 35% will grow again. Will not get bigger than the mid-market, but definitely bigger than it is today as a share of the total cement. And on top of it, the whole cement grows. That's the reason why cement will be in a few years a good business to be in. Okay, thank you very much, and um, good luck, Thomas. Thanks a lot. Our next question comes from the line of Dubashis Chand from Society Generale. Please go ahead. Your line is now open. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, I have two questions remaining. Uh, first question is on mining. Uh, some of your peers are also flagging more of the larger size orders to come through next year. I appreciate you also have mentioned a strong pipeline, but do you share the sentiment or is it still too early to make such a call? Yeah, we are not different to the uh, to peers in that we actually had quite a good run um, uh, in the lead in the peer group, but that moves, of course, quarter uh, to quarter, and we are we are positive on larger orders next year too. Absolutely. Understood. Uh, my next question was on the mining service growth. I just want to understand uh, how much was it driven by the pent-up demand, and uh, do you see uh, further and before pent-up demand to continue in the coming quarters? Thank you. Yeah, the situation what we have in the mining industry is that they, as we said, they are still not completely uh, through to, to make the large investments all over. COVID-related, and a big part of that is actually sustainability, because when you make today a big installation investment, then you have to be sure that the new uh, rules which are coming um, and laws regarding water, emissions, and so on, that this new investment uh, fulfills that all in the future too. 
So that, that is where the governmental bodies and uh, permitting bodies in the different countries have to finalize their setting of rules. If that is true and COVID is, comp yeah, is not a big issue then any longer, then you will see significant more of these activities getting into uh, the order intake. Then when we look into the service part, um, service is, of course, um, a reflection of the production rates and at the same time um, of lower investment into capital, as I described at the beginning. And that shows that we have a fundamental good base for service activities. But when you look, um, the last three, four quarters back is a little bit of bumpy road. Some quarters are higher, some lower in the order intake. That is normal in the uh, in the mining service behavior based on that how customers in the different areas of the world and commodities like to order, not to order. But we are quite positive in the, that the demand for service in the mining industry stays as it is. Got it. Thanks, Thomas, and all the best for the new role. Thank you. Thank you. We currently have no further audio questions. I'll hand back to the speakers for any final remarks. Thanks a lot for all the questions. Thanks a lot for all the good attention and participation here. Um, we would like to say goodbye here out of Welby and wish you a safe being no matter where you are. All the best. Bye.